Hey guys, Anna Victoria here, and I'm so excited for you to join me on my podcast, Your Best Life. I'm the CEO and founder of the FitBody app, a fitness influencer, and a personal trainer. Every week, I'm going to have a special guest that will share their unique experience and unique story to share how they learned how to live their best life, even if they're still working on it, since we are all a work in progress. I can't wait to help you learn how to create your best life. Welcome back to another episode of Your Best Life. Anna Victoria here and Luca as well. Hello. (laughs) So this week's guest is Jean Chatsky, and she has been the longtime financial editor of the Today Show on NBC. In 2018, she launched Her Money Media and HerMoney.com. Jean is the host of the podcast Her Money with Jean Chatsky and is the best-selling author of numerous books. Her most recent is titled Women with Money, The Judgment-Free Guide to Creating the Joyful, Less Stressed, Purposeful, and Yes, Rich Life You Deserve. So, Luca, I feel like you should be the one hosting this episode because this is wow. your, <laughs> your this world. This is my jam. Yes. Uh, so, Luca is the CFO of our company. And it's just also, it's very much your language. Like, you, you get it. Like, you can hear one thing and... It just, you can run with that conversation. I am the complete opposite. I'm like, what? Are you speaking English? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think you do have a, a really deep understanding of finance. Okay, really deep? No, De- I, I, have a, I have a basic understanding. And I, I mean, I am a numbers person. So naturally, like, I get the like calculation side of things. But like, oh gosh, hearing about... You also run a business. So you do have the kind of... Uh, mentality of okay i know how much we're making how much we need to save how much we need to invest and it's it's the same thing when you come to to a personal level right you know running a business is very similar to running your personal life you're making money you're spending money you need to invest money yeah and it's a balance of all of this i do agree on that i think where i lack an understanding is just like stocks versus bonds versus treasury things <laughs> that's more that's <laughs> that's where you come in and you're like oh you know I know all about that so what are what are you most interested in, in hearing uh, Jean talk about I honestly very interested on hearing finance with the current situation like what's you know what what is her advice to how to face the situation we are in it right now uh, you know a lot of people are unemployed right now and Obviously, there is a, the United States is actually officially in a recession right. right now. So how do we face this situation? How do we prepare uh, our finances to, you know, to, to handle this? There's a, a really big problem of people always being in a vicious cycle of living paycheck to paycheck. And so I'm really curious to hear what she has to say about how to get out of that cycle. So here is my conversation with Jean Chatsky. I'm so excited to dive into this topic because I think this is something that is not discussed enough and is so important, especially for females. So I have tons of questions for you, but first, do you want to start by letting us know who you are and what you're about? Sure. So I'm Jean Chatsky. Most people know me from 25 years on the Today Show talking about money, but I have been focused for the last handful of years on women and money. I run a website called hermoney.com and have a podcast called Her Money. And we talk about all the various ways 
um, money impacts our lives and our health. Yeah, amazing. And I think that it's something that, you know, I mean, my my industry, I'm in, I'm in the fitness industry, health and wellness, and we talk so much about taking care of our bodies and our minds, um, but money is something that doesn't ever really get inserted and interjected into that topic, but it really is one of the most important things when it comes to our mental well-being. Yeah, I don't think you can separate them anymore. I, I really right. came to this a couple of years ago. I, I wrote a book with a, a doctor um, named Mike Roizen, who uh, runs wellness at the Cleveland Clinic. And it was all because we both sort of figured out at the same time that you can't really have good health, at least for the long term, if you don't have enough in the way of financial resources, because you're not going to be able to stay healthy. And if you're not right. healthy, you're not going to have any money because it's going to it's going to take the wind out of your bank account very, very quickly. So you've got to figure out how to make them work together in order to have both a good uh, standard of living and health over the over the long term. Right. Absolutely. And how did you get into the finance world. Uh, was this just like a passion of yours always? Is it? Is it just kind of like it's your language? No, God, no, not my <laughs> love language. Not to begin with, anyway. I, um, I was an English major in college. Oh. I came out, I wanted to work in journalism, and I got a job where I was assigned to write stories about business and finance, and I really liked it. I was a bit of a math geek in high school. Uh -huh. And so I just sort of went down that path. I ended up uh, reporting for Forbes and reporting for Smart Money magazine and got uh, put on the Today Show to do a couple of segments, which turned into another career and uh, have been doing it ever since. But I really, I, I like the intersection of life and money. I think it's yeah. really interesting to look at the different ways that we relate to money, how we feel about it, why we use it, the way we use it, why we're so emotional about it and not highly rational about it. I just think it's endlessly fascinating. Yeah. And different people deal with it in different ways, right? Like for some people, you know, I mean, I don't know if this is a rude term to use, but they might be penny pinchers, you know? Yeah. It, and it, it's all really... I mean, what, what many people I think don't understand is that so much of the way we deal with money as individuals comes from the way that we grew up with money. We are all carrying this enormous amount of baggage from the time that we were kids where we weren't really talked to in, in most instances about money, but we just absorbed how it was treated by our parents where we grew up and whether people were tense um, when the paychecks came and whether they were unhappy when the credit card bills landed and whether they were fighting about it. And unless we actually dealt with that as adults, it's still impacting whether we are, like you say, penny pinchers to this day or whether yeah. we throw money at every problem without really thinking about it because we believe that it can solve those problems. We have right. to take a closer look at what we call our own money history, our money story in order to figure those things out. Yeah. And what I also think is interesting, I mean, this is definitely experienced as an adult, but like I've heard, you know, my mom talk about, well, your grandparents are from the era of, you know, or they were raised in the great depression, the post great depression era. And like, always feeling like, like they need to be really, really financially secure. 
um, and how that impacted our parents and then therefore how that impacted us. But now we're in a different time because of the coronavirus and with what's happening with a lot of people getting laid off. And now there's a new kind of sort of financial instability or that fear of what if this happens again? Are you noticing that people are treating their money differently because of this pandemic? Yeah, we're starting to see it really show up in the statistics. The Mm. savings rate in um, April, and the savings rate in this country among American adults is something that the government tracks, and it's been tracking it since the 1960s. The savings rate popped up to 33%, which is unheard of. Oh, so it increased. Oh, oh, it increased. It increased it increased for a couple of reasons. One, because we didn't have anywhere to spend in April. We were all home. Most of us were were home and uh, we weren't eating out. We weren't shopping, you know, unless we were doing a little bit of damage online. We we were buying groceries (laughs) and that was about it. We weren't commuting. Those costs went away. And so we had extra money and we put it away because we were really, really fearful because of the skyrocketing unemployment numbers. The other reason that it popped for some people was because their unemployment benefits were actually more than they were earning on their jobs. Yes. Yes. This was a question I was going to ask you. Yeah. So the 33% is not sustainable. I mean, we like, we should just put that away. It's It's not sustainable. But my question is... After the Great Depression, we did see savings rates pop, and they stayed high for a good few decades. I mean, we were saving 10, 11, 12%, which was, that's really good. In the early 2000s, we were spending more than we made, right? Debt was just flying. We were, we were putting way too much on our credit cards and borrowing from our houses, and we went too yeah. far in the other direction. And so, Now the question is, can we find a comfortable place where we're saving enough, where we have emergency cushions, but we are um, also living comfortable lives? So, you know, on the topic of, you know, the coronavirus and people's, um, that those benefits, the coronavirus unemployment benefit checks that people are getting, I'm hearing a lot, even from my friends, they're like, I'm making more money right now, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So- that's great. But what, what advice do you have for when those unemployment benefits stop and they either go to not having a job because unemployment is sky high right now, or they go back to their regular pay? What, what do you advise for them? So while this extra money is flowing in, save it. At least save some of it. Because before we entered this crisis, there was this statistic that I'm sure you heard that half of all Americans didn't have $400 that they could pull together in an emergency without putting it on their credit card, without borrowing from friends and family. That's a terrible way to live, right? It's You're living on the edge all the time, and there's a lot of fear and anxiety that, that goes along with that. This extra money has given people, many people, a way out of that $400 um, conundrum. It's given them a way to, to, if not put together a fully fledged emergency cushion, at least have a few thousand dollars, which they could rely on in a pinch. And my advice is hold on to that money. Um, just put it in a different account so it's not in your checking account, so you don't see it whenever you sign on to your, your checking account to pay your bills, but you know that it's there. And, and try to 
um, try to hold on to it for the next time that, that an emergency does come around. Because what we've seen is that emergencies happen. And they do. They happen all the time. And they happen to you individually. They happen to us as a society. So hold on to it. When you go back to work, um, if you... Uh, the, the trick it to living on what you make and, and living below your means, um, which is what we encourage people to do so that there is a cushion that can be saved. We should be saving about 15% of whatever we, we earn year in and year out. The trick to getting there, if you've never really done it before, is following the money, um, really tracking what's coming in, what's going out, where is it going, and, and following the different line items. Because the other thing, the other sort of gift, I think, that um, coronavirus has given us is, well, two things. One, um, we're seeing what matters. We're seeing what, right. what really matters in terms of where we spend our money. The average family subscribes to 20-some different services. Do we need all of those? I don't, I don't think so, right? So go right. through, figure <laughs> out what you don't need. Just get rid of them. Um, but the other thing is it's really taught us that even if we're not great cooks, we can cook. Um, yes. And yes. every time I do a money makeover or have done a money makeover over the past, I don't know, few decades, when I look at people's budgets and what's getting them in trouble, it is almost always food. It's takeout. It's it's just the fact that we eat out a ton. Right. And we do it in small ways and in large. And if we could just right. scale back like one or two meals a week, eat the leftovers. Well, I, I have to say I love that you pointed this out because it also is very in line like with what I say in terms of like taking care of your health and like you know, I won't get into all the numbers of being in a caloric deficit and all that, but like people really underestimate how much uh, they eat, you know, especially when you're eating out because you, you won't know what, what's actually in that meal, how much oil was put into it, you know, and it's a numbers game, you know, so at the same time that you can take care of your health by eating out less, you can save your wallet too. Well, and I think we will see coming out of this that people, um, I mean, I know there are some people who are putting on the quarantine 15, but I suspect that we see a lot of people who took off some weight too because they're eating yes. better and they're walking. I did years ago a program for Oprah called The Debt Diet um, that basically involved a lot of these steps, asking people to track their spending and to take the money and use it to pay off the credit card debt. And the, the most um, fascinating part of putting people on this program was that they lost weight. Um, it, people, wow. we, we saw it across the board. People, people not only got rid of their debt, they actually lost weight because I think once you learn that you can be more conscious about one area of your life and that you have this willpower and you can apply it in one area of your life, you can apply it in other ways too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I want to uh, go back to something that you mentioned in terms of they, you know, a few months ago, they said that your average American wouldn't have $400 to, you know, get together in case of an emergency. So, you know, I've talked to some, several of my girlfriends about finances and something common that I've heard is that, you know, that today is different in terms of our earnings and in terms of the cost of living. And so I, I would love to hear what you think about, you know, 
a how to get out of that vicious cycle of living paycheck to paycheck. And is that true? Is cost of living significantly higher today and wages are lower? And that's kind of pinholing a lot of Americans into not being able to get financial freedom? Um, yes and no. So they're right. Today is different. And, and if you look at what happened after the Great Recession, so the Great Recession um, started in 2007 and ended in June of 2009. But wage growth was just flat for a decade. We It wasn't until 2017 that average wages were above the level that they were at in 2007. Wow. Right? And so people lost many, many, many years of wage growth. And even though inflation during that time was not raging, it was in the you know 3% range, 3% every year really adds up. So your friends are right that, that things cost more than they used to cost and salaries have not kept pace, especially things like starting salaries in big cities where you're trying to pay rent on an apartment and it just, it just gets crazy. That said, I also think that we have accepted new things as needs that we didn't used to need. You know, again, I, I point to sort of those streaming services, the, the yeah. hundred, hundreds of dollars a month that some people spend on their cell phone bill, the yeah. um, constant eating out. It, it's a matter of priorities in some way. If you decide that your priority is to live in the city and you're going to spend a ton of money on your housing, then you have to take a look at your numbers and figure out how you're going to spend less on everything else so that you can have that savings buffer. Yeah. What I think is so interesting about the time that we're in right now is I think we've really fast forwarded years into the future in terms of people accepting the fact that you can be productive working from home. And when Mark Zuckerberg came out and said, hey, Facebook employees, you're going to be allowed to live wherever you want in the country. And we're going to, we're going to, we're not going to pay you San Francisco salaries if you live in Peoria, um, but you are going to be able to make those choices. I think that is going to change things for a lot of people and that people will be able to decide maybe they have the ability to live in a less expensive place and put some more money away that will help them um, help them in growing a, a, a better financial future and financial freedom. Yeah. I love that you, this is like, right, like hit the nail on the head with what I wanted to ask you about because there are such rising costs in the cities, but you know, wages aren't keeping up. And for example, personally, my husband and I, we lived in LA for the last three years and we were paying rent and it was astronomical. And, um, we just, you know, kind of, we're looking at our finance and saying, Hey, like this isn't sustainable, nor is it smart. It's, you know, rent is wasted money every month. Um, can we buy a house in LA? No, like, well, and, and I have to say not the type of house that we wanted, you know, right. like we wanted like at least, you know, four bedrooms. I have a huge family, you know? Um, and so we decided to move to Austin, Texas. We just moved here two weeks ago 
the, you know, and it really came down to cost of living. And yeah. it was hard to make that sacrifice of moving out of LA. I'm from California originally. I lived in the same neighborhood as my best friend. Thankfully, because of technology, we'll, you know, we'll still be able to keep in touch. But, um, you know, I think that that's something that now that people that are getting into their 20s and 30s are realizing that they might have to start making some of those sacrifices and move to an area that cost of living is better. And I will say for us, it also was, you know, I ha- we have a business and, you know, we've bootstrapped everything and we put everything that we make back into it. And for us, it was looking at, well, sure, maybe we could afford a home in LA, but at what cost? You know, yeah. like what cost, what, what, you know, how is that going to negatively impact the business that we won't be able to further develop? And so our priority obviously is the business. So we decided to, to move for that reason. Um, so is that something that you regularly suggest? And, and if so, do you get pushback from that? No, I mean we we've we've reported on this before in in the past. I I did a story for today years ago about about people making decisions like that. A couple moved out of New York into Buffalo, right? I mean, mm-hmm. and and I think we're going to I think we're just going to start to see this. I didn't grow up in New York. I grew up in the Midwest. Um all over in in many different towns that had much lower standards of living and I I keep hearing about people who are going home. Um, and yep. so, so I, I, I do think that that'll continue. And I think, I actually think it'll be nice for for the country. I think yeah. it'll be nice to, to be able to, to choose to live in, in, um, in other, in other types of places. Yeah. Um, how, how are you liking Austin? Yeah. Well, we, so we just got here two weeks ago and it's, well, I would say three now we were in, in, in an Airbnb for about a week and it's just, it's a different time to be moving right now because of the coronavirus. So I feel like we haven't really been able to fully experience it. I'm also 32 weeks pregnant. <gasps> oh, <laughs> my goodness. Congratulations. Yes, thank you. So like that's also been kind of like interesting oh in, in terms of, you know, it's a little harder to get around right now. It's hot. So, you know, we have heard it's it's such an amazing city. We haven't quite gotten to experience it yet, but you know, we're we're in kind of a half empty house still with like furnishing. So that's it's it's a fun experience right now. I moved to the suburbs from New York City when I was 36 weeks pregnant. Oh my gosh. This was many, many years ago. Um, but yeah. I um kudos to you because that <laughs> that was not that is that is not a fun thing to do. But when you're ready, I have a friend who owns a couple of spinning studios in Austin. So oh, once we once we amazing. get out of this. I will hook you up. I love spinning too. So that's perfect. Great. (laughs) So I want to chat and hear your thoughts about why are women so intimidated by finances or talking about money or even just negotiating? And I'm guilty of that myself. Um, Is it a cultural thing or a, a biological thing? necessarily think it's a biological thing. I think it I, I think there's no question that many of us were raised believing that talking about money is just something that you're not supposed to do, that it's that it's yeah. rude, that it's invasive. Um, I also think there's a you can't really win where where money is concerned. I mean, we have this uh, really, annoying tendency to try to figure out where we measure up. And we do this when it comes to everything, right? We, we, you know, if you're in a spin class, you're paying attention to who's on the board and where you're, where you're fitting. But when it comes to money, either you feel, um, 
bad because you have too much or you feel ashamed because you feel like you haven't done well enough. So there's, there, there's some of that in the equation as well. When it comes to investing um, money, I think women do feel a little more, um, a little less educated, perhaps, a little more reluctant to dive in and, and to take, um, take risks. We, we have a bias towards safety. We want to make sure that we are safe and secure and, um, and the thought of losing money doesn't feel terrific to many of us. Um, but once we get in and we actually invest, we're, we're terrific investors. Um, we do our homework. Yeah. There've been a lot of studies that show that women are better investors than men, um, simply because, Amazing. yeah. And it's because we don't trade as much. Um, we're not trying to game the system. We, we make our picks, we stick with them. And, and over the long term, that really serves us, us very well. What I've, what I've liked seeing and at Her Money, we hold, um, things called Her Money Happy Hours. And basically they are just, um, in their facilitated conversations about money. We run them like a party game. We have a deck of cards. Mm-hmm. You pick a card. There's a question. You answer the question and, and, um, we go around the room <laughs> and have some drinks and, and that's how, that's how it goes. But, one thing I've noticed is that younger women, millennials, and Gen Z are more willing to talk about um, money, including how much they make. Um, and as we move toward um, salary transparency in this country, right. I think that's really, really, um, they're driving that. And I think that's a very good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you actually touched on a topic that um, I did a little Q&A on my Instagram of, you know, what finance questions do you have for me to ask you today? And um, several asked, what is the best route to take if you are wanting to prepare for an emergency fund or invest in a 401k? So very, very different, right? You have to think of the jobs of these dollars that are going into these funds as being different. Your emergency fund has to be liquid, um, which means that you can get at that money immediately if you need it, and you don't want to lose that money. Um, so your emergency fund belongs in a bank. Uh, it belongs preferably in a bank that pays you a competitive rate of interest. Uh, if you go onto my website, onto Her Money, there's a chart of here are the best savings accounts, the best high yield savings accounts. And a lot of them are internet banks because they don't have the brick and mortar presence. They can afford to pay a little bit more in interest. Right. Um, your 401k is long-term money. That's your, it's for retirement, like an IRA is or a Roth IRA or a SEP IRA. It's money that you have said, I don't need this money this year or next year or for the next few years, unless you're closing in on retirement. This is money I'm going to put to work for the long term. And because of that, you can afford to take more risk with that money. So that's the money that we invest in a portfolio of stocks and bonds, typically in the form of mutual funds or index funds or exchange traded funds, which are a lot like index funds, except they trade like stocks. And you come up with an asset allocation, which is basically the um, percentage that you want in stocks versus the percentage that you want in bonds and cash and safer 
places and you put the money to work every single time you get paid. The, the nice thing about a 401k and the reason um, that people have been so successful saving using them is that they're automatic, right? The money comes out of your pay through a right. deduction. So if you work for yourself like you do and you don't mm-hmm. have a 401k, um, you have to set up the same sort of automatic mechanism for yourself. And it's really easy to do. You just tell the account um, wherever you have your IRA to pull money out of your checking account every couple of weeks or once a month and, and make sure that the money continues to flow. And what percentage do you recommend for people to save out of their paycheck each month? 15, if you can get there. 15%. Yeah. Okay. And that can include, if you get matching dollars from an employer, yeah. that can include the matching dollars. Okay. And in terms of that 15%, would you say for planning for an emergency fund and a 401k, like that it's a total 15, so maybe five yeah. and 10 or seven and eight? Okay. Five and 10 would work. Um, you want to get to the point where your emergency fund is is done and then you can just put it all into retirement basically, um, unless you need to replenish the emergency cushions. So, so we want to get to the point where you have, um, if you're a single person, a six month emergency cushion, that's not six months of the money that you spend on a regular basis. It's six months of money you would have to spend if you were in a pinch. Um, and then if you're a dual income family, it can be three months because the hope is that you both won't lose your job at the same time. Right. Okay, great. And so before I get to more of my community questions, I wanted to ask you about in terms of financial literacy, I feel like is a really big problem that, you know, you're saying you're talking about IRAs, Roth IRAs, you know, a lot of people probably are like, huh, you know, like, what is that? So, you know, what do you feel like our education system is uh, preparing kids enough to understand debt, credit, um, and if they're not, where, who do you suggest they turn to to, to be educated on this information? Um, yeah, that's a great question because no, it isn't. And most yeah. kids don't get personal finance education in school. Um, I wish they did because I think it's, yeah. it's, I, it's a life skill. Right. We, mm-hmm. we throw you out into the deep water and we ask you to get a credit card and pay your bills on time. And a lot of people have no idea um, what what they're supposed to do. You can get educated just by reading um, on a regular basis some, some blogs. I mean, you can certainly pick up a book. I've written a lot of them um, yeah. and that'll teach you what you need to know. But if you don't want to do that, if you you listen to a podcast like mine, you'll pick it up. If you read the money section of USA Today, you'll pick it up. If you if you um, read blogs like um, like Her Money or The Financial Diet or others, you'll you will just pick it up. It's it's a matter of just sort of tuning in on a regular basis and not turning your head when the information comes flying at you. And then many people do have, through their employers and through their benefits department, seminars on things like 401ks and health savings accounts. And I know it sounds like a really boring way to spend your lunch hour, (laughs) but just go and tune in and and see see what's out there. And then how about a really great question why is it so hard to become wealthy if you're not from a wealthy family? 
boy, oh boy. Um, <laughs> right. You know, because you're starting, you're starting from scratch, basically. When my <laughs> my stepfather um, uh, likes to talk about the miracle of compound interest, and what he means is that money, when invested, grows on itself. And so, if somebody gave you a pool of money, if you come from a family that's wealthy enough to give you some some seed money, you invest that, it continues to grow, it continues to earn money for you. If you're starting on your own, you have to save up that seed capital to grow. But it's not it's it's not impossible. It's I mean I I did not come from a family like that. I I think if we have some good habits um, and and can figure out a way to save habitually, you will absolutely get there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and same, I did not grow up from, I did not come from a money of family. Um, my mom was on food stamps at one point and um, I left the house. I mean, I was 17, about to turn 18 in like a month once I graduated college and I was completely financially independent from an early age. I will say what really did help me is I did work for um, a large uh, telecommunications company that had those 401k programs that like, um, you know, they matched, you know, they yep. did like matching contributions and things like that. Um, I did too. And I think that's, I think that's really, really important, especially, yeah. um, you know, if you feel like you're starting from behind, uh, if a company is matching a, a percentage of your salary, it's like a raise. I mean, it is the closest to free yeah. money that we're ever going to get. And it is specifically targeted for your future. Um, the other thing, if you're out in the job market and you're looking for a company, having health benefits is such a cost saver. Um, yeah, I, I think sometimes we we discount that. But the other thing that I can, you know, that I know about you is you love what you do, right? And and yeah, and so do I. I really love what I do. Um, and and for that reason, I work hard. Um, and yep. when you find something you know, that you love, that you're willing to put in the time, I, I do think that the money tends to follow. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And my my college job, when I went to college, I was working full time and I went to school full time. And a lot of my friends would look at me because it was 7 a.m., 10 p.m., pretty much seven days a week of school work, one or the other. And a lot of my girlfriends would look at me and be like, I don't know how you do it. And honestly, my response was, I don't have a choice. <laughs> you know, like I have to support myself. I don't have anyone giving me any money, any guidance. Like I, I know I want to go to school and get my degree. I also need to support myself. I just so happened to, I actually haven't talked about this. Um, I'm not a, I, I don't know if I, I should say I'm not a very studious person. I am a very hard worker. School was not my thing. I didn't have like a great GPA. Um, and I didn't get into a lot of the schools I applied to. One of the schools, actually, one of the only schools I got into was a private school. Mm -hmm. Very expensive. And it was like, I kind of don't have a choice. You know, I, I will say um, they had so many programs for like grants, government grants, because I was, you know, financially independent and didn't have a lot of income. And that helped a lot in terms of that private school um, tuition. But a lot of people, they might look at my LinkedIn or my resume and think like, oh, she went to this really prestigious school. Like she must come for money. Like absolutely not. <laughs> you know, like I was you know, working full time and taking as many, uh, honestly, handouts as I could get to get by. And I did graduate with 
debt, you know, but, you know, like you said, when you love what you do, it, it makes a big difference in terms of putting in all that work and, and time to pay it off. So, um, so another question that I have for you, um, similar to the emergency fund versus 401k, someone said, if I'd like to buy a house in the next five years, should I reduce my 401k contribution temporarily? I'd prefer you don't. <laughs> um, I would rather see you take, I mean, we all get, you know, cost of living or many of us get cost of living raises and increases. I'd rather see you keep, at least keep the same number of dollars flowing into your 401k. Keep Try to keep that savings rate up and figure out another way to save um, for that house. I mean, the nice thing about trying to buy, especially right now, is that mortgage rates are so low. You have the ability to really... Um, bring your payment, your monthly payment in at a reasonable level. And a lot of people I think will find they save money these days by buying instead of renting. Um, right. So you may want to look at the numbers and realize that maybe you don't have to wait all that long if you temper your expectations about the type of house that you want to buy. Look into the first-time homebuyer programs that are available through your state. Um, some of them offer you the availability to buy a house putting down just 3%. Um, so you might not need to come up with as much money as you think. And, and maybe if you play around with the numbers, you'll see it's even more effective, cost effective than you thought. Yeah. And do you think that buying real estate is still one of the best ways to build wealth? I do. I do. And it's not necessarily because the price of the house is going to go up. Mm -hmm. It's more because when you're paying down a mortgage, it's forced savings. You're building, you have to pay your mortgage. And as you pay your mortgage, you are buying shares of your house. And then you have this big asset that you could sell to pay for another place to live or to you know, downsize when you retire and, and take some cash off the table and use that to pad your retirement account. So I, I think from that perspective, it, it's a really good way to build wealth. Oh, well, I'm very happy to hear that personally. Um, so I actually, I have another personal question. So um, I, as I mentioned, I'm pregnant and my husband has started talking about um, a college fund, you know, for our daughter and that we're going to start that right away. And, you know, looking at our budget of where we're going to cut to compensate for that. Um, but what he started saying was, well, we want three kids. Okay. So we should just start the fund for all three of them right now. And I said like, wait a minute, <laughs> these kids are <laughs> years from coming in the world. Who knows if they ever will. But do you think that families should prepare college funds for all the children that they plan on having or just take it one kid at a time? I would take it one kid at a time. I took it one <laughs> kid at a time. I have two and, and I, I put them, um, they, they are out of college at this point. Um, but here's some basic rules of thumb. Um, and, and you don't necessarily have to save all the money for college in a 529. 529 is a really good place to put it because of the tax advantages. Um, the money grows tax-free. But um, it, you want to prepare for the fact that your kid might get some scholarships. And so you don't want to tie up way too much in these accounts. Mm. But if you put... If you think that your child is going to go to an in-state public university, which if, if I lived in Texas, I would be I would be like, you get the grades to go to UT Austin. <laughs> um, 
you want to put $3,000 per child per year in that account. Okay. Um, if you think they're going to go to an out-of-state public school, $5,000. And if you think they're going to go to a private school, $7,000. Okay. Amazing. That's really helpful. Um, well, I have one more question for you. So uh, the name of the podcast is Your Best Life. And the point that you know I really want to drive home is that there's no such thing as one best life. Everyone has, you know, different priorities and different things that will, you know, help them live their own their own version of their best life. So what would you say is something, either advice that you have or something that you personally experienced that has allowed you to live your best life? I think everybody we're under so much stress these days. Um, and stress is uh, one of those things that if it, if it gets the better of you, it, it can really take the wind out of your sails as far as your health is concerned, as far people get very, very stressed over their money. I think you have to figure out a way to relieve your own stress. Um, for me, um, running has done that. I've been a runner since high school. Um, I, I tweeted this morning that I really didn't feel like going for a run because my running partner blew me off. And, <laughs> <laughs> but I put on my shoes and I went out there and I put on a really good playlist and I was so happy by the time I got home. Um, and so I think you just have to, and, and it's different things for different people. So figure out what you can do to get rid of some of that stress and, and then just do that consistently. Amazing. Well, Jean, this was so great. And I feel like we could talk for hours. I have so many more questions. Um, for any of you listening that have more questions, I encourage you to go to Her Money Media. Can you share um, other places where they can find you as well or, or your books? For sure. So um, the website is hermoney.com. And uh, if you go there, you can, you'll get a little subscribe button. We publish two newsletters a week with lots of helpful tips. They're free and a podcast every single week. So, so join us there. We have a private Facebook group um, that has great conversations going on all the time. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter and, and um, <laughs> Facebook and all of those things. Amazing. Thank you so much, Jean. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Stay safe and healthy out there. Thank you, you too. That was my conversation with Jean. Luca, what did you think? <laughs> How did I do? Did, did I do okay with all the terms? <laughs> you did awesome. You did awesome. And I very much enjoyed uh, this Of course you did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what I really loved that she pointed out was about people beginning to eat out less, how that actually had another, you know, side effect of them losing weight. Oh my gosh. Like that is such a great example and great proof of like, not only how much, um, eating out impacts our wallets, but you know, our health and, you know, our, our waistline as well. Not to say it's all about how much you weigh, but, but still, you know, in terms of, of gaining weight, how much that impacts it. Um, also. Yeah. I learned that I, I sh we should probably wait to put money in the 529 fund yes. for all of our kids, but start one at a time. And okay, I agree with that. We start one at a time. I'm so happy I asked that question. I feel very like, like I got confirmation. She's on my side <laughs> that we only need to save for one kid at a time. I love the parameters that she gave. Like if you, yes. the kid is planning to go to a public school, in-state, out-of-state and you know, yeah. and, and that's great. The, the amount of money you need to save per year. Per kid, by the way. Yes, per kid. Um, how about uh, moving out of cities into places that have a, a lower cost of living? 
you know, when we've talked to a lot of friends, you know, that are considering doing the same thing, you know, it, it is a big sacrifice and moving away from family or, yeah. you know, and, and you don't have to move to another state, you know. Um, but, you know, I think that it's just something that is, it allows you more financial freedom. And I think it really depends on how much, how important that is to you. But we also don't look at this as a, as a permanent move. You know, for us, this is, you know, we'll see, you know, we're movers. So like, we'll see kind of where we're at in five years. Exactly. So it's, you know, we are very dynamic. Um, it's, it that doesn't mean that we're going to live here forever. It, it made sense at the moment, right? It made sense for us to save money because we are actually in right now, our mortgage is 30% less than how much we are paying in rent in LA. Right. Right. And we are buying a house, you know, and so, and, and we can put the difference, you know, not only we are buying a house, so we are building wealth, but we can put the difference back into the business. Exactly. Yes. And that's the most important thing for us, right? So it just made sense. Yeah. If that's what it really came down to for us was, you know, not hurting the business because of our own personal lifestyle needs, which I feel like is the opposite of what you see on Instagram a lot of the times, you know, like you see people and their businesses and influencers and making all this money and buying all these nice things. And Hey, we like nice things, you know, like it's not that we don't buy anything nice, but you know, like we don't personally speaking personally, I don't feel the need to be living this, you know, super high luxurious life on Instagram. Like I want to, be stable for our family and our future yeah, and still too, live in a nice house, but, you know, like do it responsibly. And, exactly. um, and I think that that's something that more influencers should talk about, you know, like yeah, I thought I could be more real with money. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, this was a different kind of episode. Um, and I really would love to hear what you guys think. So be sure to head to Instagram or DM me or to the Facebook group. Let me know what you think. I hope you guys enjoyed it and we'll talk to you guys next time. And that is it for this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, I would love for you to share with a friend, spread the word and help us grow our tribe. Please rate and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes each week. You can also follow us on Instagram and join our Facebook group, both under the same name, Your Best Life Podcast, to keep the conversation going. You can also send me an email at yourbestlifepodcast at gmail.com and you just might be featured in a future episode. Your Best Life is a Gallery Media Group original production.